Hello and welcome to Backbench Drivers, the National Observer podcast. I'm your host, John Lawson, and today I have with me Matthew and also Blake. Today we're going to be covering some big stories. Um, how are you going, boys? We're enjoying the week. Yeah, it's been a, been a busy week, to be fair. Very yeah, well the weather hasn't been too good here, but uh, yeah, it's been busy. Bit of hot up here this week, then a bit rainy. Yeah, right. No, big stuff sounds like. sounds. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, our three topics this week, we're going to be covering the recent uh, supposedly far-right election victories in Argentina and another one from Europe. And after that, we'll be looking at the island riots and stabbing. So a bit of international news this week. Um, I think that pretty much covers everything. Would we like to get into the first article, Matthew? Uh, so this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. It's titled, The Chainsaw Swinging Trump Admirer, who is Argentina's new president. Buenos Aires. What many deemed impossible just months ago is reality. Right-wing populist Javier Mille resoundingly won Argentina's presidency. And with his victory, the fiery freshman politician has thrust the country into the unknown regarding just how extreme his policies will be, following a campaign in which he revved a chainsaw to symbolically cut the state down to size. With almost all votes tallied, Miller handily beat Economy Minister Sergio Massa 55.7% to 44.3%. Massa had conceded even before the Electoral Authority began announcing preliminary results. Miele, 53, a self-described anarcho-capitalist with a dishevelled mop of hair, made his name by furiously denouncing the political cast on television. His pledge for abrupt, severe change resonated with Argentinians weary of annual inflation soaring above 140% and a poverty rate that reached 40%. He'll take power on December 10. Once in office, he said he, he has said he will slash government spending make the US dollar the country's official currency and eliminate the central bank as well as key ministries, including those of health and education. In a mire of former US President Donald Trump, he has likewise presented himself as a crusader against the sinister creep of global socialism with plans to purge the government of corrupt establishment politicians. In the weeks before the runoff, though, he walked back some of his more unpopular proposals, such as loosening gun controls and sweeping indiscriminate privatisation. Yeah, so what are our immediate thoughts on this? I saw a lot of hype about this actually on well on Twitter this week. For now, it's known as X, but um, yeah, there was a lot of chat about this. Did you guys see that? Yeah, there's a lot of um from especially from the establishment types. You know, the typical conservative media types like Ben Shapiro, Steve Turley, praising this guy, saying he's he's the he's the exact type of leader we need, and it's just um. It's rather interesting how quickly this guy's come into the forefront of the media. You know, five weeks ago, no one's heard of him. He's just a local Argentinian guy. And now he's on the cut all over Twitter, all over the media. It's rather strange. Yeah, no, I did see a little bit of lead time on this. I saw a couple of edits and whatnot from uh, regarding him even a couple months out. People were hyping him up, a lot of the establishment types, even we'll have a look at like the Australian right. A lot of people are getting excited about this. I mean, expectedly, the Libertarian Party is very happy about this. Um, but a lot of others who 
you know, they they are sort of known as the Australian conservatives or right, you could broadly describe them, but they're probably more aptly described as libertarians. Is this your experience, Blake? Yeah, I mean, I don't understand the excitement, to be honest. Um, and um, I think it's all, yeah, astroturfed. It's all artificial. I think um, there's not really any reason to be to be excited about this at all. Yeah, well, because although, you know, I, I think if, there's only really one issue that even appeals to us three, and that is that uh, he is aggressive against going against the left, which, you know, we'd like to see from our representatives. But apart from that, uh, he doesn't really have anything good. He wants to supposedly link the Argentinian economy to the US, which I think would be beneficial for Argentina, but it's not really in line with the supposed principles that he represents, the anarcho-capitalist, libertarian sort of a thing. I know a lot of people were expecting him to um, go big on uh, cryptocurrency and announce something to do with that, but that didn't really materialize. Um, what were the other issues that he's, that he's on? So um, he's, he's very much um, against the central bank, the IMF, these kind of um, state uh, and international monetary authorities. I mean, particularly in Argentina, where the, he, the guy who's running up against was the economy minister, massive inflation, massive unemployment, um, massive poverty rate. So there is an appetite for change in Argentina. Um, he also opposes uh, trade unions. He's um, wanting to install the US dollar as the basis of the Argentinian economy. Um, wants to prioritize alliances with US, Israel and Ukraine. And he's cautious about China. So it's really more of a... It just sounds for, like the status quo yeah. that we have, but with a new exactly. coat of paint on top, it doesn't sound like yeah. anything, just something to get excited about. Because that part of um, Latin America was always in between the kind of Russia-China um, power base. They were kind of in between. So it's just a, a win for American imperialism. Uh, there's also another very strange uh, position that he holds, and I think we will discuss this after the next article. Uh, we'll be talking about this other European um, far-right victory, and the two of them have Malay and this guy. They have uh, strange similarity. It's actually yeah, links that's... into the topic we discussed last week. So I think we'll talk about that maybe after the next article. So this one's from Politico. It's titled, Far-Right Leader Gert Fielders Wins Dutch Election. Um, the anti-Islam Eurosceptic radical Gert Fielders is projected to be the shock winner of the Dutch election, with almost all votes counted in a dramatic result that will stun European politics. His Freedom Party is set to win around 27 of the 150 seats in Parliament, more than double the number it secured in the 2021 election. Franz Timmermans, Labour-Green Alliance, is forecast to take second place, winning 25 seats, a big jump from its current 17. Uh, Dylan Yelis Golov, outgoing Premier Mart Rukas, a successor as head of the centre right VVD, suffered heavy losses and is on course to take 24 seats, 10 fewer than before. A win for Wilders will put Netherlands on the track potentially for a dramatic shift in a direction. After Rutgers' four consecutive centrist governments, the question now, though, is whether any other parties are willing to join Wilders to form a coalition. Despite merging as the largest party, it will struggle to find an overall majority in Parliament. The party wants to work towards curbing 
the asylum tsunami, putting more money in people's pot wallets and better security filters added. He extended a hand to other parties, declaring it was time to work together to come up with solutions. Builders even suggested he would be willing to compromise on his anti-Muslim ideals for the sake of entering government. I understand, quote from Builders here, I understand very well that parties do not want to be in government with a party that wants uncon- unconstitutional measures, he said. We are not going to talk about mosques, Qurans, and Islamic schools, end quote. Next, Builders' anti-Islam rhetoric was a clear part of his PVV program for government. The party proposed to ban mosques and the Quran and forbid Islamic headscarves in government buildings. Builders is also a hardline Eurosceptic who has called for a so-called Nexit referendum on leaving the EU. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban was quick to congratulate Builders, writing on X, quote, the winds of change are here, end quote. And so, yeah, um, I think it's very interesting from the Politico article that what he ran on and what what got him a lot of the votes was this criticism to the Islamization of the Netherlands and he's so quick to throw it away just to get power. Um, I think this is like super familiar to us three who have watched mm-hmm. the Australian politics for a while. Like I'm sure you remember and, and Matt as you as well. Um, uh, if, like even from looking back and researching Australian politics when we were a bit older, but um, for example, uh, Tony Abbott and John Howard double for our well, John Howard was before my time. But um, this sort of rhetoric always follows. It seems to follow a complete capitulation. They uh, they'll go hard in talking about how they're against Islam, they're against uh, the boats and stuff like that. And then as soon as they get in power, they are, well with uh, Howard, he had record migration, legal migration. So just a complete uh, you know sales pitch really with nothing behind it i don't know if you had anything to add yeah i mean i think it's good in the sense that there's an appetite from the voters for this stuff but i mean what exactly is stopping someone honest from from running on that platform and following through because it just seems to never happen in in any western country actually speaking of which we'll get into this on the next article but there seems to be one standout exception to this. So there are all these, yeah. we look at Malay, we look at this guy. Um, I think we should compare this to maybe, uh, I suppose there are two comparisons we can make. One is to Trump and his, um, he seems to, I think we can see the differences here in that he's definitely more genuine in what he actually believed, even if he was handicapped by his administration. Um, or sorry, not handicapped necessarily, uh, maybe just like, uh, you know, they really clamped down, stopped him from doing everything that he wanted to do or that he promised to do. Um, but then also the National Party in Ireland, which is definitely more of a um, genuine, far well, supposedly far-right party that represents these issues. Yeah, and I just want to touch on the whole far-right labels that the media have been putting on Miele and Vilders. Like, uh, Vilders... He's been quoted as saying that um, we were all, we were always one of the top parties that were supported by the gay community. We believe that like Christians and Jews, women and journalists, gay people are also the first ones to pay the price of Islamization. So he's out here, his anti-Islam rhetoric comes from this liberal idea of wanting to protect gay rights and, and the kind of um, culture they have in the Netherlands. Feminism and uh, liberal yeah. sort of... Uh, Things like this. Exactly. And um, and much like with Miele, 
he's out here calling himself a Catholic and he's attacking the Pope, calling him some, like, I'm not sure what he's exactly said, but, you know, he's calling him a Marxist, a liberal. Yeah, I saw that as well. He said it was like far left or something. Yeah. And I... Um, I was just thinking about how, um, what um, Matt was saying before about opposing immigration based on those people that kind of don't align with these liberal values. And it got me thinking, what if there were, what if um, countries did align with those values? Would they then be opposed to immigration at all, even though they might be causing more crime and, and changing the culture and all that? Yeah, exactly. So, like I mentioned before, with uh, before we jumped into this article, the connection between Malay and Jert, um, they also have this uh, very strong similarity that they are both very strong Zionists, which is sort of strange, you would think, considering one's a South American president, one is a European politician or political party, and they both have this uh, massive adoration for the state of Israel. Uh, it sort of ties into what we were talking about last week in that Israel has very strong lobbying groups and influence operations in lots of countries all around the world. And this is uh, very influential on their foreign policy. You can look at the United States and their reaction to the recent Israel-Palestine crisis. You can look at the Australian domestic response as well. Did you boys want to add anything? Yeah, I think um, it's kind of ties into what I said before about how you can't really get viable opposition that that's able to follow through on the their promises, and I think that might be something um, to do with it because every time it seems like there is some kind of alignment with with Israel or some kind of um, backing by by um, individuals aligned with with um, the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, you had some quotes. Did you want to read them out um, from uh, this this uh, European guy? Yeah, the Dutch guy. Yeah. Um, so first of all, um, he's compared the Quran to Minecraft to Minecamp, sorry, to disparage Islam, which of course is um, typical of these liberals. You know, the worst thing you can be is Hitler or Nazi, and Minecamp is the worst book ever produced. But um, interesting to note about uh, Vilders's backstory: lived in Israel for two years as a kid, and he's visited the country forty times in the last twenty-five years. Yeah, this is not, you know, Israel's way out of the way for if you're Dutch. It's not like you're popping over into Belgium or into Germany. He's had to physically leave the continent. It must be for the food. Um, I remember you mentioning it at the start of the episode, Blake. <laughs> yeah. I really like the food. Yeah. 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 All the women. are good too. Yeah. He's just, um, he's on his sex tourism grind, I guess. But I mean, there's, there's always <laughs> Thailand. <laughs> uh, Were there other quotes? And he's also, yeah, yeah, he's also moved, um, he was called for moving the Israeli um, embassy to Jerusalem, which is the same as Mele. Uh, Mele said his first trips before he's even um, uh, inaugurated as president will be to Israel and America. But um, here's um, a quote from Fielders, quote, if Jerusalem falls into the hands of Muslims, Athens and Rome will be next. Thus, Jerusalem is the main front protecting the West. It's not a conflict over territory, but rather an ideological battle between the mentality of the liberated West and the, ideol and the ideology of Islamic barbarism. There has been an independent Palestine state since 1946, 
and is the Kingdom of Jordan. In December 2010, Vilders urged Israel to build more Israeli settlements in the West Bank as well, and he subsequently called for the annexation of the West Bank. Uh, I mean, this is all like, it's a bit ridiculous, so right? Like, this kind of rhetoric for somebody that is ostensibly completely unrelated to the country. I mean, would he ever say mm. something this strong about his own country? I'm not sure. I'm not in, in, uh, wherever, <laughs> I'm not wherever he's from. I don't speak Dutch. But... Um, he he seems to be going very very hard against Israel's enemies. Although, in fairness, he is good on immigration issues, so you know he is also promoting that for his country. But it is a very disturbing coincidence that there is always this link between the two. Yeah, um, I think we can move on to. Oh yeah, because yeah, you, Cause go, you look at. I was just going to say, even if you the more mainstream figures like Bolsonaro, Trump, even Pauline Hanson. They, they always seem to have a connection to either Israel or Israeli-backed, Israeli-connected um, uh, backers, um, funders, you know, lobbyists. It just seems it's all a massive web with its um, interconnected all across the world and every far-right yeah, politician. Yeah. Um, especially in Australia. You should always be suspicious when um, your leaders aligned with the interests of a country on the other side of the planet. Exactly. And it seems like they can always follow up on their promises to the country on the other side of the, the planet rather than to the country that they actually are in. Uh, clearly, they have more like resources probably coming from these lobbying groups, such as the AIJAC in Australia. or um, I'm not sure what their war chest is like, but the ADC is another one of these uh, you know, lobbying groups, uh, community organisations for Israel and for Australian Jews. And um, I'm not sure what exactly they have in terms of their war chest, but if you combine all the various organisations, clearly there is some funny business going on here. There should be more transparency in terms of where this money is coming from. Why are they so adamant about this foreign state? If this were China, <laughs> let's, let's imagine, for example, this was Chinese money and they were all saying China needs to beat Taiwan China needs to destroy its enemies. We need more Chinese settlements in Taiwan. <laughs> you know, all these things. If he had if we switched China for Israel in all of those quotes and China's enemies uh, for Israel's enemies, then it would be completely unacceptable. It would be a ridiculous stance. Or uh, Russia is more of the enemy. But, uh, yeah, did you guys want to add anything to that? Sorry, did I cut out? A little bit, but it's okay. But yeah, I mean, I think you've just highlighted, yeah, the huge double standard um, that um, people don't realise. And even if you do talk about it, there's always, um, you're a easily able to be slandered as, as anti-Semitic or something like that. Yeah, that just bring up, you know, the Holocaust, which means obviously you can't criticise anything because you must be wanting to kill people. When you do We're just asking simple questions here, seeking simple answers. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's so, isn't, does it not worry people that they would be called anti-Semitic for asking these very simple questions? I don't know. I suppose they just don't think about it, but you know, if, if they ask these sort of things, like why is this, this very strange, strange coincidence that is not beneficial to our country, that is actually beneficial to a foreign nation, then for some reason they become anti-Semitic. But if, you know, we have these commentators that will go after China all day, 
you know, China must, you know, they're threatening Australia. We hear from Peter Dutton, you know, all the things that China are doing. And then he'll go and he'll worship at the feet of Israel. He'll go worship at the Wailing Wall. And, um, you know, it's such a stark double standard that clearly the Australian first position must be to be consistent on this issue. No foreign interests uh, should be operating in Australian politics. We should not have foreign lobbying groups in Australia. You know, we should not have foreign investment in Australia, I think, even because we see that uh, this this is another means by which they can control our country. Um, I think that pretty much finishes up the topic. Do we want to go on to the final article? Yeah, so this is from the ABC. It's titled, Riots Erupt in Dublin After Children Stabbed. Five people, including three young children and the suspect, have been injured in a knife attack in central Dublin that sparked riots in the city centre. Public transport was suspended and patients advised not to travel to a nearby maternity hospital unless absolutely necessary after clashes between riot police and the anti-immigration protesters. A double-decker bus was burnt to the ground in front of the Daniel O'Connell statue at the head of the street and windows were smashed at a nearby Holiday Inn hotel and McDonald's restaurant. Police chief not ruling out terrorism. Ireland's police chief said he had not ruled out any any motive for the original attack, including terrorism. Five-year-old girl was receiving emergency treatment after sustaining serious injuries, police said. A man in his 50s, who was also being treated for serious injuries, was detained by police, who said they were not they were not looking for any other suspects. Police said it appeared the man attacked a number of people on Dublin's Parnell Square, which is next to Dublin City's main thoroughfare of O'Connell Street shortly after 1.30pm. Members of the public intervened at an early stage of the attack. Qu- quote from the Ar- Ireland Police Chief, Drew Harris, I never ruled out any pos- possible motive for this attack. As I've said from the from the start, all lines of inquiry are open to determine the motive. I'm not going to speculate any further in respect of a terrorist no- motive until we're sure what the motive is. We have to keep an open mind as to why this happened. End quote. Um, the scene, yeah. So basically, um, as a result of this attack, uh, a lot of Irish patriots came out and, you know, started, as as the article read, um, torching bus buses, damaging property, and all that kind of stuff. And um, as was reported in the Daily Mail, um, the police have yet to officially identified the race or any characteristic of the suspect but gripped media has confirmed via official sources that the person of interest in the stabbing incident in dublin today um, is understood by Garde, which is their version of the investigative police yeah so to be an algerian national yeah it definitely follows this trend that we've seen for the last probably i don't know a couple decades now across europe and various other western nations um, of Islamic, or I don't know if it's necessarily Islamic, but these foreign terror attacks that are a result of these, uh, you know, hostile minority groups being brought into the country by mass immigration. Um, you know, not everyone, I don't know if I need to clarify this, but just for the people that are getting their panties in a twist, not everyone that comes to the country is going to be violent, but a lot of these groups that are coming to our countries uh, they have a high propensity towards violence. We've seen this. It's just a statistical fact. Um, 
we know this from the Lint Cafe shooting in Australia and various other uh, attempts that were made in Australia by various uh, foreigners who were very hostile to our country. Yeah, I think it's you, you see um, Conor McGregor's come out on X and he's supported the um, the protests and he says um, absolutely horrific scenes all day. My stomach is churning with no action being taken at all during these ever more frequent events. Like literally zero action taken whatsoever. How do we expect an end to this? We need reform. We need action. And I think uh, he's right there in that the status quo of frequent terrorist attacks, whether it's at a soccer game in the Benelux region a couple of weeks ago, it's at music festivals in Manchester, where if it's at a church in France, these need to stop, you know, uh, we can't just keep accepting foreigners coming into European countries and just raging yeah. havoc. Um, I think we can all agree, though, that the uh, sort of, you know, the fiery scenes that we saw coming out of violent art going to change anything. Like, like these riots in the street have never changed anything, really. They're maybe a more powerful demonstration of public opinion than a protest in that uh, politicians maybe uh, will act more hastily or put out a statement quicker but it's just going to get everyone rounded up arrested that nothing will cover this i think like the national party they put out a statement like they said um you need to get elected you need to get elected officials in you've got to have positions in government if you want to change any of this rights in the street won't change it but regardless it is it is sort of uh heartening to see that there is such a popular sentiment that actually cares about uh from the population that they actually care about their countrymen I think that's uh, very refreshing to see. And also Conor McGregor coming out and standing by the um, everyone protesting, as well as anyone that is angered by this event and wants to see change. It would be great if we had such authentic um, you know, care for the nation's interests coming from our own celebrities, I think. Yeah, 100%. I think um, – uh, I'm not sure if this comparison has been made yet, but this reminds me a lot of the BLM riots. And just um, and I just wanted to say that they were the BLM riots were effective in that they were sanctioned by the political class. They were a uh, a method of the political class to instill their will on people. Where this is different in the sense that this is a reaction against the political class with people protesting against mass migration. The disenfranchisement of native populations and it will won't have the same effect of changing business policies political strategies go into the into the future i don't think yeah no exactly these things can only exist because they're permitted to do so i'm talking about the black lives matter rights that is yeah or even like antifa in australia they're allowed to exist because they're an arm of the establishment they don't threaten. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard a story about an Antifa member being arrested no. or anything like that or having to go to court for minor offences. Whereas for Proud Boys, constantly facing legal challenges. And it's ostensibly yeah, exactly. the same thing. Yeah. And various other nationalist groups as well in Australia. Did you want to add anything, Blake? Yeah, I was going to say it'll be interesting to see if um, there'll be any arrests or anything from... Um, these riots in Ireland. I don't know how their police are, but would it be like a general... I think they already have had arrests, yeah, been... or at least they've identified people. Um, it's been reported that 34 people have been arrested. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
That was, that was 10 hours ago, so it's probably higher now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they'll release... Did they release the identities of these people? Yeah. It'd be uh, the, very telling if they release the identity of these people before they yeah. release the identity of the stabber that sparked all of this. Yeah, it's always the case, though, isn't it? If a white person commits a crime, immediately you know everything about them. You know their mum and dad's home address. You know what school they went to. You know what drugs they're on. But when you when a crime like this happens and you hear nothing about the identity of the attacker for over a day, it's, it's always non, a non-white person. Yeah, you often see yeah. with stuff like this, they won't show the face of the attacker on the media or they'll, they'll do various other tricks well, to yeah. make it, like to push their own bias, really. And they'll, they'll always do this, um, the dark white skin or dark, you know, that kind of trying to play down. Yeah, we, we've seen yeah. these examples before. It's not a universal rule, but um, it's definitely a, a strange pattern. But I think anyone, once you notice it, you can't really unnotice it. Um, I think also, I I don't defend the violence or anything like that. It, but it is worth noting that there is a, a qualitative difference between these rights and the ones from Black Lives Matter, in that these ones are in support of the nation and they are, you know, in defence of little children that were killed, innocent children. Whereas the Black Lives Matter rights were clearly, they evolved into just a pretext for looting and burning and uh, letting out these violent, aggressive urges. Um, and it was in defence of a, you know, somebody who was guilty, really, and who questionably, the, the circumstance of their death was questionable. We don't know that he actually was killed by Derek Chauvin. It's, in fact, the evidence seems to lean to the fact that he was not. So... Um, I don't know if you guys had anything to add, but I think that there is a slight, slight qualitative difference here in that one is clearly for an altruistic motive, or at least, you know, to some degree. And the other one was pretty much immediately it folded into just being an excuse for stealing. And I, f- I find it um, also interesting, just to follow up on that, in the current Irish riots, you see the same kind of people who are looting and stealing in the American BLM riots, doing the exact same thing in Ireland right now. It's not the Irish protesters who are going into stores, stealing stuff. It's it's the foreigners who are doing that. Yeah, I think um, Keith Woods posted yeah. that to uh, his Twitter. He showed how actually those, the Irish protesters were going and confronting the people who were doing the stealing. So... Uh, it's definitely a stark difference there. Nonetheless, I don't support violence, don't support any of uh, the violent actions that they undertook. This clearly won't change anything, that kind of behaviour. But um, hopefully all that energy is actually transferred to the National Party during election time. And if we wanted to jump into that maybe a little bit, but the National Party is a great example, counterexample, of what a far-right supposedly party, anti-immigration, pro-island party could be, socially conservative as well. Compare this to the other two that we just heard about previously. Um, The National Party, although they haven't been electorally successful so far, I believe that given all the recent events in Ireland, the the anti-mass immigration protests earlier this year, these current riots that they probably experience some sort of electoral uptick in the next one. So, well, we can hope for that. But I think that we can have a look and see how they put Ireland first rather than having this massive fixation on Israel. 
I think that's definitely something that we should be looking at for inspiration. Yeah, um, I'm just going to, for those who don't really know much about the National Party, uh, they've got the nine fundamental principles listed on their website. I'm just going to read through them quickly. Um, firstly, a how many of them are about defending the Zionist state of Israel against its Palestinian enemies? Uh, none of them. Stuff about right, rights of unborn children, criminal reform, um, nation before state, belief in the constitution, the commitment to national unity, and that could just that you know what used to be standard right wing issues fifty hundred years ago of protecting the country, protecting the welfare of the people, rather than allegiance to a foreign country, making sure the people thousands of miles away are safe. Before your own people. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see. Did we have anything else that we wanted to talk about at the end of this episode? Um, has, um, has that party ever been in power? No. I, just, I think it's led by politicians that were in power, but I don't think it has been, not to my knowledge. Okay, because okay. I know we were talking before about how you know these parties run on some certain ideas, and then when they get in. It's, uh, they don't quite follow through, but I mean, you could you always. Well, I don't think they get the kind of funding that the uh, these other parties get, you know, to um, you know put up this facade. So I don't. I think that they sort of have to be it's, genuine. It's also that um that the Irish party's been only like had one election and one by election, so they've only had one real election in twenty twenty, whereas this is viewed as like fourth election, and Mille astroturfed. And there's mitigating stance uh, situation in Argentina around the economy and all that kind of stuff that helped them. Yeah, it's unlikely that we'll ever see the leader of the National Party from Ireland on Tucker Carlson's show like we saw in Malay. He doesn't get that kind of boost. Yeah, okay. Because I think, I think we can actually, you know, draw this comparison. He doesn't get this boost... What does he not have that everyone else does have? He clearly, or the National Party that he represents, I'm sorry, I forget his name if he is listening, but um, he clearly doesn't have this massive fixation and dedication to a foreign state. He's probably not going to get funding if he doesn't do that. So, And he's not going to get all this media attention from the allies of this state. So it's, I think it's a very telling, it's a good comparison to make. We can see how different that is. Okay, so that basically wraps up the episode. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in, everyone for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to the nationalobserver.substack.com. That's where you can find these podcast episodes. Also, follow the Telegram and the X. Um, and that's pretty much it. Make sure you share this episode with everyone that you know. Make sure that you print out pamphlets, put them in people's letterboxes with the link. Um, and that pretty much is all there is to say. Uh Good to have you, Matthew. Good to have you as well, Blake. I think this is a great episode. We'll be back again next week with some more Australian news, hopefully. But, um, yeah, have a great week, guys. Have a great week, everyone.